know, it's wonderful to look out and see everybody here, but it's like the first service. I don't know a lot of you people. Um, you know, you're, you're new to me, and I was greeted this morning by a wonderful usher that welcomed me to Church Triumphant, and I said, yes, I've been a member for 30 years here, and, uh, but not to this person's discredit, because, you know, that's some good ushering, making somebody feel welcome when they're here, and we just laughed, and I said, I've actually been absent from this body for about nine years, been serving full-time in Mexico, and so um, for those of you that don't know me, I'm Sheila McPherson. The ministry that I have is Equipping the Saints International. And uh, started out ministering here in Church Triumphant around 30 years ago. Uh, did children's ministry and did trained teachers and started doing that in the Ross County area. And God put it on my heart to what I thought was go to Mexico and do the same thing in Mexico. Got to Mexico and that's been some of the least ministry that I've done as far as training teachers and doing children's crusades. It has been a one-on-one -on -one relationship, falling in love with the people there, falling in love with the country, and just knowing that God's heart is for Mexico, a country that I'm going to be sharing with you in a little bit. I know that it's been in the news a lot, and what you've heard is true, um, but there's a lot you haven't heard. So it's, it's worse than what you expected, but how many of you know that God is a big God? And the thing that has encouraged me over knowing, you know, just... Um, all the things that are happening right now that are really horrible, God has encouraged me through the one act in the Bible where Pharaoh's army was destroyed in one instant. In one moment, the entire Egyptian army was destroyed. I don't know how God's going to solve this thing down there in Mexico, but I know that he's called me there to love the people, to serve the people, to serve him. And I am going back in two weeks. I have the peace of God. Um, it's kind of like a, a standing joke. If I cross the border and my peace leaves, I'm back. I'm back across the border and flying to Ohio. But I don't think that's going to happen. I believe God wants me down there. Uh, it may be to save some of these drug cartel. I hope it's not at, uh, you know, being kidnapped and held at their, you know, hands. But, uh, you know, I have seen through a lot of intercession, Mary has been passed on some intercessory uh, information for Mexico, and um, we're seeing some of the top leaders kidnapped and some of them killed. Um, you know, I have prayed for capture, you know, conviction and conversion, but some of them aren't making it to the captured part. So um, I would like to start this morning and just update those of you that do know things about ETSI or Equipping the Saints International uh, a little bit about what has been going on, what is going on, and what will go on. So if I do this right, um, I, I have a habit of clicking at this thing up here, and I know that's wrong, but I, I just do it, okay? So... Pardon me if I do it again, but what you're looking at is a picture of Monterrey, a city of 12 million people, and this is where God called me to. It's actually been about 15 years ago. I knew that I was going to be going to Mexico, just didn't know where. I was told that Monterrey was a city of missionaries, don't go there. And when I went there just on a trip to do some children's ministry, God said, this is where I want you. And I remember crying, saying, but this is the city of missionaries. I mean, what do they need me here for? You know how many missionaries I've met in that city? Zero. I've been there nine years. Now, I know missionaries throughout Mexico, but actually in the Monterey area, I have not met American missionaries that are living there. So this is where I live. This is, um, they call it um, El Pastel. It's the cake because there's three layers and they're different colors and they say it looks like a three-layer cake. But really it's my home, it's the ministry base, it's the uh, 
training school. It's been used as a shelter, a refuge, um, a little bit of everything, and it's in the village of Nueva Esperanza or New Hope. And what I want to do is not only acquaint you with where I live, the surroundings that I live, but I want to show you the faces and real people, too, that live there. This is right out my back door. Um, how many of you in here have actually been to Mexico, where I live? I know, Elizabeth, you brought down a group, and um, Penny, Hi, uh, I do know you. Um, and there's, uh, there are others. Okay, yes, Maureen, Mary. Um, you guys know that this is just what it looks like. You look out there and this is what you're, you're looking at. Um, this is the dump behind my house. This is where people actually have built their homes and they go through the materials there and get what they can get and salvage. And I want you to keep this picture in your mind because I'm going to show you what took place here just about a month and a half or two months ago in this area. This is Olivia. Um, she has an inoperable brain tumor. Olivia still works to this day, uh, taking care of her family. She has been blessed to be supported through a ministry in Florida. They are sending money every month for her medicine, for the medicine for her children, and for uh, kind of supplementary grocery needs. Every month they send money to her through Equipping the Saints International. This is Karen, and Karen had a tumor on her kidney. It's been about a year and a half ago, and the doctors just said that, you know, there was nothing they could really do. Uh, and in Mexico, you do not have your surgery until the surgery bill is paid up front. Your hospital bill is paid, the doctor bill is paid, then you have your surgeries. So this family didn't have any means to do this. I sent an email out, and through the response of many people, her needs were taken care of, and this is her probably about... Eight or nine months later, she never talked up until the time after her surgery. She is now talking, running, playing like the other children. And, uh, you know, they did take her one kidney out, but she is doing fine. And uh, her needs were met through people that believed that they could make a difference. This is a family in the church. This is Balta, his wife, and his little girl, Wendy. Wendy had, uh, she was operating like on 30% lung capacity. She needed her diaphragm lifted. Everything was just kind of falling down. And um, once again, no surgery until the money was up front. And the money came through. It was like $1,000 for the surgery. Now, how many of you guys know you can't even go to the ER for, you know, a half-hour visit here? But that's what she needed, and uh, she's, you know, running, playing with the best of them now. This is David. David wanted to finish high school, 22 years old, had one year left in La Prepa, and um, somebody from Chillicothe paid for the entire year and got him through to the end for his high school. Now he's got his sights set on he wants to go to med school. He wants to deliver babies. This guy loves babies, so we're praying that God will bless him with the money to go to medical school. He also lives on my third floor. He's kind of like the guy that watches things while I'm gone, and he works in the ministry down there. He's the sound man, plays guitar, plays keyboard. I don't know. He does a little bit of everything, and a uh, real sweet young man. This is Pastor Clary of the church down where I'm at, and two of the twins that go to the church there, they wanted to go to beauty school. They wanted to learn how to cut hair, and... Um, you know, no money. 
you know, the dad has four kids, and how is he going to put two girls through beauty school? Once again, people from the States paid for their schooling, and they now have a little shop. I go there about once a month. I get my hair collared, cut, a pedicure, and a manicure, all for about, what was it, 12 to $14, I think, Mary. We did, we did a fun day, and so we got all that. And they do a good job. I mean, I'm not talking slop job. They did a good job, and so um, they're just a real blessing. This is a real good friend of mine, Guadalupe Maria de la something, 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 you know, real long. And, uh, you know, she's over 100 years old. I was told that about six years ago when I met her, so she's 100 and who knows how old now. But um, I had the privilege of leading her about three years ago to the Lord. And uh, she still, and what was really neat was last night, about 1 o'clock in the morning, I got a text message from her great-granddaughter saying, Sheila, how are you? When are you coming back? And mi viso abuela, she wants to know, when are you coming back? You know, she wants to see you. So I've made some friends that are, you know, I'm about as old as they are now. But anyway, um, really neat, the people that God has put in my life down there. This is a home that we built right behind her home. It was constructed over the weekend by some boys that I brought down from the city. And all this is done through the funds that come through Equipping the Saints International. This is the infamous Hummer that I, you know, had to literally leave it parked in the garage the last month and a half I was there and, and wait to make it back to the States because it was unsafe. The cartel, the number one vehicle that they like to, you know, carjack right now is Hummers. And I'm like, Lord, why didn't you just let me know that two and a half years ago when I got it? Um, because I've been, I've been held at gunpoint and stopped by, you know, some questionable characters, but at this time, it got to the place where I knew we're, we're in some serious trouble here. Um, this picture was actually taken in December when I took food to the mountains, uh, to the Nawa Indians. I'll be going back there. Go there at least once a year, sometimes twice a year, take some of the kids with me. It's a village of about 300 people. We have taken Christmas to them. We've taken blankets for the village, food to the village, and coming up this... Um, End of October, I'm taking a dentist with me, and we're going to do a dental clinic. I'm trying to raise $8,000. I've raised $2,000, and uh, we are taking a mobile clinic there, and for four days, going to do dental work. These Indians have never seen a dentist. They'll probably wish they wouldn't have seen a dentist once we're done with them. Uh, we're also going to do an optical clinic and some children's ministry. Many, many children there, and the clown that you see often travels with me. He graduated from my school. His name is Oriel Cervantes, and uh, just a real blessing. He can jump and hop around like I can't anymore. So, you know, he does a lot of my jumping and hopping. But this is the Nahuatl Indians. A lot different from the culture in Monterrey. Monterrey is the third largest city in Mexico, the most wealthiest city in Mexico. But right now, it is the second city that is the most violent, and it's second to Ciudad Juarez. The Ministry Crossroads is a branch of ETSI where I have done missionary training this year. It was canceled as well as every team that they uh, were to come down. We had to cancel because of the violence. Um, I know a lot of you have heard about it, but, you know, I really, it's, I hate to say it, it's worse than probably what you've heard. But um, today, as I share with you, I, I really do covet your prayers that God will put this ministry on your heart, these people on your heart, and know that our prayers will make a difference. But something that has really happened for me that has been just a real blessing is through the ministry of Crossroads. These are two young men that have been trained up, Beto, and Beto's actually been to the States with me several times in Oriel. Um, when I couldn't go back after bringing the Hummer back up here this summer, um, 
they carried out my ministry for me. They did the outreaches I had planned. I have been able to send money down for the flood relief, which I'll share some about that in a little bit. Uh, school supplies. That is always fun, buying school supplies when you go buy thousands of dollars of school supplies. And they have to have a certain book, a certain pencil, a certain of everything. And uh, this young man and, and a family took this on this year, which I got a few nice text messages like, Sheila, poor gay. Sheila, why? <laughs> but um, God has blessed me by seeing that the fruit from the ministry that is coming forth down there. This is um, from the hurricane that went through about two months ago, probably almost three months ago now. And um, you think seven hours inland that you wouldn't experience anything from the hurricanes, which I've been through one down there. And what we get mostly is the rain. They had in two days the equivalent to what they would get in a year. And what you're looking at is if you've ever been in Monterey, this is the main 12-lane highway through the middle of town. It's totally gone. And uh, this happened just in a matter of two days. The only good thing to come from this um, flooding and the, the hurricane was the three days there were no murders from the cartel. That was the, the plus side of this, but you can see the devastation that it brought forth. This is right near where I live, where the school is at, and um, this is probably about 15 minutes from where I live. It just the whole area was inundated with the floodwaters. This is not mudslides or anything like that. This is literally debris coming down and just flowing like in a river and then just staying right where it was at in vehicles. There's other pictures where I've seen total, you know, all the vehicles covered and, and just in bunches there. But you're looking at people that are already in an impoverished situation and to have devastation like this to continually face what they're facing right now with the cartel activity has uh, really put a lot of pressure on the people there. Remember I told you to um, Keep in your mind the picture of the dump. That is the dump. And my son Nick will cringe at my abilities here with the computer as I stretch the two pictures to try to put them together. Sorry, Nick, I should have had you do this. But uh, that is your comparison and my weak abilities to try to get that across to you. The people were evacuated. The military came in and evacuated everyone out of there. They are back rebuilding as such. Um, but my house, the church, and areas there in the village were used for refuge. And so um, even though I wasn't there, God continued to use the ministry in another way. One of the things that I really want to share, what's going on right now in Mexico, is um, a lot of you hear about the cartel and the activity that's going on. There are seven main cartels, and the worst one that has developed is, um, you see in the middle, it's the armed wing called Los Zetas. They are, were highly trained commando special forces that the U.S. trained. They went AWOL, and they became hitmen for the Gulf Cartel. And they decided, okay, we want to quit being, you know, on this level, we want our own cartel. And so they have their own cartel. Their home base is Monterrey. And what has happened is three of the other cartels now have joined forces because their mission is to forget our differences and eradicate the Zetas. And so you have the Zetas and this other group fighting. You have the military trying to contain all this that's going on, and then you have the police that you don't really know which side they're on, and normally it's not the good side. So there's a lot of activity going on in Monterey itself. These are um, just some captions I'm going to share very quickly with you. This is what's happening in the country, civil war in Mexico. Uh, you can't describe it as anything but. 
Sometimes the streets looks like anything that you would see in Afghanistan or Iraq. You are seeing the activity of terrorists. These uh, cartel leaders are nothing more than terrorists. And um, this is what you're seeing here is daily in the streets, not just in some far off place way down south of Mexico. The worst area right now is northern Mexico, which is anything along the border states down through to Monterrey, because Monterrey is one of the areas that is in question now for control, and they're wanting to overthrow the Zetas who are in control. Um, this just happened, I want to say, in July, the first car bombing took place in Ciudad Juarez. I'd like to tell you it was the last. It is now becoming a commonplace thing. This is happening more in the border areas, but in Monterrey, they have had car bombings. They have had grenade. They have grenade yeah, being thrown every day at something, the television stations, the police stations. It's whatever they decide they're going to throw it at. So it's just going on every day. Something that has just hit the news in the last couple months are the mass graves that are turning up. This mass grave was within 10 minutes of where I live. There was 55 bodies found there. Now, they are mostly what you're hearing is the bad people are killing the bad people. And, you know, that's, that is the truth. But there are innocent people that are caught in the crossfire. But this is um, the gangs are, you know, killing the other gangs, and that's how they dispose of their bodies. 17 massacred in Torreon. This is about four hours from where I live. And the reason why I wanted to share this was it's unbelievable some of the things that you hear. And when I heard this, it was just something like, you know, this is a bad movie. Because this is um, a birthday party that 17, actually 18 died as a result of this. 19 more were hospitalized. And the people that did the killing were criminals that were in a local prison that they were giving the prison vehicles, prison weapons, and allowed out at night to carry out certain hits on other cartel. Well, this night they decided they wanted to do a little bit of their own, you know, without any kind of leading, so they just, you know, did this at a party. Uh, they bring the vehicles back, they bring the weapons back, they check themselves back in the prison when they're done. This is true. This is not anything made up. What really surprised me was the warden of this prison was um, nominated and elected woman of the year two years ago. People do what they do out of fear. They are told, you serve us, you do what we tell you to do, or you're dead or your family's dead. And so you have these people in these positions of authority that are being just basically shoved around because of fear. Another mass grave of this too, located in Monterrey. El Torre, he is uh, one of the heads of the Zetas, and um, anytime they're captured, it's like, yay, you know, they got one of the bad guys. But what happens as soon as they're captured, then it's the retaliation. The whole city is in an uproar. This day, there were 49 of their main roadways were blocked. The gunmen, they just get on buses, they pull people out of their vehicles, and they just say, you know, we're using your vehicle to block this road, and, and they block the road so they can do whatever it is they're doing without the military or police getting to what they're, um, they're doing. So I had a friend of mine who was literally stepping off the back of the bus when the gunman stepped on the front of the bus, and he had one more bus to take. He lived about, it was about six more miles home. He said, I just walked home. Well, I don't blame him. I think I would too. Um, this is just, you know, this is common every day. This is what's happening, not just Monterrey, but in Mexico and mostly the northern part of Mexico. Once again, they, they, anybody from the police to the transit to mayors, I mean, they're really, you know, hitting big on mayors of different cities right now. This is downtown Monterrey. They went into a hotel 
And 40 minutes later, after they went to every door at the hotel and they got the 12 people that they wanted, you know, they left. And still, military police, nobody was able to get through because of the what they call narco bloqueos, where they blocked the roads. This is the most discouraging that I've heard, is that 85% of those that are into the drug trafficking are arrested, they're paraded around in front of the TV, and then they're released two to three days later. Doesn't make sense, but that's what's happening. The narcos, the drug people are attacking and extorting the clergy. They are going into churches, not just Catholic churches, but evangelical churches. And they are telling pastors, as services are going on, you will pay us protection money or we will kill this person, this person, you, whatever. I mean, this is going on more and more and more. I don't know if you heard of the illegal immigrants that were killed just a couple of weeks ago. These guys were from anywhere from South America through Honduras, Nicaragua. They were traveling through Mexico, trying to get to the United States illegally to a better life. And uh, they were captured by the Zetas and they were told you will serve as our hitmen or you know, you'll die. And they refused and every one of them, well not every one of them, three of them did escape and uh, reported what went on. And the actual investigator that went the day of the murders was found the day after the murders. So it's a, you know, you don't know who is working for who, and um, a lot of the people cannot be trusted. So it's just continual what you see. This is a big name. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of Love Arby, but he is a big head of one of the big cartels. Just recently was captured in the last couple of weeks. And I'm seeing that really, I believe, as answer to prayer. There are some things that are taking place. And um, this last guy here that's on here is one of the high-level Zetas. And he was responsible for the death of two students at Monterey at their technical university. And um, the actually, the military uh, planted guns on the students because the students got caught in the crossfire, but they tried to say that they were also cartel, and they weren't. But they ended up capturing this guy sometime later, and he was responsible for those. So this is what's going on in Mexico. Um, I talked to a young man after the morning service here, and I'm surprised that people here, if you, you know, you might have heard the name Los Zetas in the newspaper or the news, but he said that he has been told through uh, law enforcement that they are, they are in place in the United States, and I said they absolutely are. Um, they are calling what the terrorists call sleeper cells. They say they are here, and he said, no, there is an actual group working out of Delaware, Ohio. And I said, it doesn't surprise me. Just about three weeks ago, along the U.S.-Mexican border, all up and down the border, they found great quantities of weapons stored along the border, and it's rumored that it was for them to come into the United States and begin to do the work that they do there. They want to begin to instill the fear here in the U.S. as well as what they're doing in Mexico. So it's, um, it's coming across the border. It used to be you just had illegals coming across that they wanted to work and, and better themselves. But what you're having is this is uh, big money, the drugs and the weapons. And so it's something that is going to, you're going to probably be hearing more and more. But it's something, too, that I know, as I shared, I believe that what we see going on can, in an instant, be stopped. And I'm just believing that God is going to move on behalf of the prayers that we are going to be praying and lifting up this country and these people. If you'll get the lights up, I, I do have something I want to share with you as a body. Uh, just give me a minute to take a drink here. And uh, just... 
you'll turn to Psalm 126, 5. I think we all know that good and evil are, you know, there's a war, an unseen war, and our hearts are the battleground. Um, God has just really impressed upon me this message for this time that I'm in the States to share with the bodies that I'm preaching in. It's imperative in this hour that we step up in the area of intercession and we begin to cry out on behalf of those that... Maybe it's our family members, maybe it's friends, maybe it's Mexico, but we need to begin to intercede and pray as God directs. And in this scripture, in Psalm 126, 5, it says that those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. I don't know about you, but when I was younger and I heard this song, you know, I thought that was a pretty neat song and it always kind of moved me and did something to me, but I really didn't understand fully or grasp fully what it was saying. But as God has been sharing with me and just moving in my heart in the area of sowing in tears, there is right now by the Spirit of God a time of intercession that he is calling people to through weeping. And as we weep before him, and this is not something we generate on our own. This is something that genuinely comes from God himself, that he will begin to move on your heart to cry out on behalf of someone that's unsaved or a nation or the atrocities that we're seeing and begin to intercede. It's, it's noted here in my Bible that tears and brokenness in victorious warfare, and I just want to read it from here. Um, it just says that tears in Scripture play a unique role in spiritual breakthrough. Here we discover that the planting of seeds accompanied by a spirit of brokenness will not only bring a spiritual harvest of results, but will leave the sower with a spirit of rejoicing in the process. This passage, along with numerous others in Scripture, regarding a spirit of brokenness, pictures a variety of purposes and functions related to what might be termed the ministry of tears. Charles Spurgeon called this kind of prayer liquid tears he just he called this kind of weeping that it was liquid tears pouring forth and it was watering dry hard hearts and i think that most of us here know somebody that we've prayed good long and hard for and have not seen too many results but god as he moves on us in this kind of intercession i believe we're going to begin to see him begin to draw these people out of the place that they're they're in into the place where he wants them to be. And we can speak this language of tears. And I, I have just a several um, like examples in the Bible that I'm just going to really share really quickly because it shows us that there are, there are tears of sorrow, of suffering. There are tears of joy, tears of compassion, tears of desperation, tears of travail, there are tears of repentance. And in these examples, you can see through the people and the tears they, they cried, the different kinds. We have Jacob and um, Esau. And Esau wept about his rivalry with his brother Jacob. There was brokenness at one point or another over what had went on. Jacob wept with Esau during their reconciliation. 
Later, he wept at the presumed death of his son, Joseph. Joseph, when he was preparing to reveal his identity to his brothers, it says that he wept loudly to where they all heard him where he was at. Later, he wept with his brothers. Saul, the first king of Israel, wept. David and Jonathan wept. Jeremiah was a prophet of tears. He wept for Israel and her sins. Peter wept bitterly after he denied Christ. Paul knew the value of tears. We read Jesus wept. There's an old song back in the, I don't know where and whenever, is big boys don't cry. How many of you know that big boys do cry? And it's nothing to be ashamed of when God has put that kind of prayer and intercession on your heart. The thing that, um, as I looked throughout history and I noticed some things, Evan Roberts spent 10 years of travailing prayer in Wales before the spiritual births of thousands took place. William Booth agonized in travailing prayer in the closet before the countless crowds to whom he ministered experienced new birth. Months of unrelenting cries to heaven finally brought David Brainerd a harvest among the Indians. And George Whitefield's trail of tears led to a trail of souls both in England and North America. What is the true value of a lost soul? Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. He's told us to carry on what he came to do. And one of the ways that we can do that is through this kind of intercession. We know that we keep hearing, you know, the scripture, behold, the, the fields are white into harvest. There's going to be a harvest, but I believe before that harvest is we've got to water the earth. We've got to water the soils of people's hearts. And one of the ways that um, I want to close with is what happened to me personally at camp this year with uh, Church Triumphant's Children's Camp. Wonderful camp. The kids, 80-some kids, every service, it went from total pandemonium to the moment we started, and they were tuned in. They were waiting to hear something from the Lord. The first night, we had just this mass uh, movement towards the altar, and these kids came forward, first grade through sixth grade, just weeping. And I had a little girl, eight years old, and I said, what do you want me to pray for you about? And she said, I didn't come here to play games. I came here to get real with God. My grandmother is dying of cancer. My sister has um, seizures, and I want to I get real with God. And so I prayed with her, and I said, would you like to share this with the other kids here? And she said, yeah. So I gave her the microphone. She grabbed the microphone. She went, hey, I don't know what you came here for. And this girl for five minutes began to preach about why she was there. And more kids came to the altar. So by the next night, you know, I'm just sharing with the kids on staying on the right path. I mean, being used of God. And we have a, a time for kids to come forward if they want prayer. And I'm standing there, and from the back, my granddaughter, Abby, comes. I'll probably cry. It's okay. <laughs> anyway, she comes up the aisleway, wailing, weeping, sobbing. And I'm like, Abby, what's wrong? And she, 10 minutes, I know 10 minutes went by. She couldn't tell me. Finally, I said, Abby, what do you want me to pray for? All she could do was say, Grandpa Roger, Grandpa Roger. Just weeping barely getting that name out, and I began to pray with her. I prayed with her, prayed everything I knew to pray. She didn't stop crying. I'm like, what do I do? We're 20 minutes into this thing, and she's still wailing and weeping, and I'm like, there's no comforting. I mean, what do I do? And it was just like this soft tap, and it's like, Sheila, what's the message I have given you for the church? The intercession through weeping? 
That's what's on her right now. I'm telling you what, it didn't leave her for a good half hour. I actually sent her back to her cabin with her counselor, still sniveling and wiping the snot and everything. And, um, you know, I've heard three accounts just since that time of prayer that Roger has called three different men from this body just since that time. And I believe she watered his heart and God's going to move and God's going to bring him back. This is what God wants. He just wants our obedience. He doesn't want us to generate and, and work tears up or anything like that, but he wants us to be available to cry out for the lost. That's our call. If any of you want to know, what's my ministry? What's my ministry? You know, it is being a light. It is being the person that's going to intercede and pray. It's being the voice of the Lord when you're in front of that person that needs to hear hope when they're in a hopeless situation. And I just challenge you today, as we close this service, I, I, this morning I didn't feel like it in the first service, and I don't feel like there's to be a, a prayer time. But if you feel God tugging at your heart, there's somebody that you just have almost given up on, really, and you want to see God move through you in this kind of, in this form, I just want you to come and get before the Lord and let him work on your heart and work through you because there are many that are in darkness i know who prayed me into the kingdom do you i know my sister cried many a tears over me and you know what it's going to take some of our tears to water the hearts of those that are out there and lost so i just ask for you just to just to really as you sit and listen to patrick as he leads us in some worship just to Obey the Lord. If you're to be here before the Lord, then come forth.